0: Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to look at the second part of What doth the Lord require of thee? What doth the Lord require of thee? And just for our opening reading, and keep your Bible open here, let's read Deuteronomy 10, beginning to read it, verse 12, please. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him? And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heaven is the Lord's, thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their Seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word, but as he said, keep your Bible open, blessed by and a word of prayer father we ask you now to settle this congregation before thee lord that you would settle our hearts and lord that we would be settled in your presence lord that your word would have free course in the meeting tonight lord that your word would find a lodging place to encourage your people and also lord that it would bear fruit in our lives father but also, Lord, if there be one that is has come in here that knows not your Son as their Lord and Savior, that they would also, Lord, find themselves winding their way to the foot of the old rugged cross and bowing their knee and pledging their head to heaven and crying in repentance unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is able to save the soul and forgive of all sin. We worship you and we love you because you first loved us. Glorify your own good name, we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it, and for his glory. Amen. Last week as we looked at Moses in our reading, Deuteronomy 10, is coming down the second time from the mountain with two tables of stone in his hands. The first time we read on Exodus 32 last week where Moses was up the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And the children of Israel, uh, they uh, found that Moses seemed to be away for such a long period of time. And because he, he seemed as though he wasn't coming back, they turned to Aaron, who would later become the high priest, but Moses' brother. And they asked for a new leader. They needed a focal point to worship. And so they take their gold, their earrings, and so on. And they put it into the fire, and they, they make a golden calf. And this golden calf is set up as the God that brought them out of Egypt. In other words, the God which has saved them or delivered them. And so their heart is made known by the calf. Their heart is being manifest what they think God is, whom they think God is, and an idol has been formed. And Moses comes down the mount. He's interceding on behalf of Israel at the foot of the mount because God sees them and he's going to destroy them. In God's grace and in God's mercy, he listens to the cries of his servant Moses. But Moses comes down and he finds, remember the people, uh, they rose up early in the morning to sacrifice. They had a religious attitude. And also then they sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up again to play. In other words, they had... Uh, uh, wild parties, they were, they were so strong in their, in their licentiousness that, that the Lord was revolted at this, and Moses comes down with the two tables of stone in his hand, and he smashes them, as it were, right at the foot of the mountain. This was uh, figurative of what Israel had done in their hearts. They had broken the law of God, and these tables with the law of God on them were smashed at the bottom of the mountain. Of course, Moses takes the, the idol and he grinds it down and makes them mixes it with water and he makes them drink it and so on. So the Lord calls Moses up the second time and Moses goes up the mountain and the Lord writes again on these tablets of stone and Moses comes down with them. But this time, as you remember, we looked last week at how the Lord says, Moses, I want you to build an ark or a, a box, an ark made of situm wood, or acacia wood. And we looked at the acacia tree. We looked at all that it entailed. And he says, place those tables of stone. Place the commandments as it were. Place my law into the box. Because there, one, it will be kept. It will not be broken. He says, so place it in the box. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, please. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. So the Lord tells uh, Moses, that first saith, At the time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister unto him and to bless his name unto this day. And then it goes on to tell us that now they are come to the promised land. Verse 11 says, And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. Here, the tribe of Levi, of the 12 tribes, are now separated off to carry the ark. And so the ministry before God is through this tribe, and they're carrying the ark with the two tables of stone that are not broken. And remember that ark we showed you with the acacia wood, it represents God's presence coming down into the tabernacle that would be built and the ark set in the tabernacle. And God says, I'll meet you there, Moses. I'll meet you at this box. I'll meet you where the law is kept. I'll meet you in the Holy of Holies when you build the tabernacle. He says, if you want to meet me anywhere else on the earth, you won't meet me. If you want to meet me anywhere else in this Sinai Peninsula, you cannot meet me. If you want to go back to Egypt, you can't meet me there. And if you want to run ahead of me, you can't meet me there. If you want to take your travels and go on through, he says, right through the promised land, you cannot meet me there even. He says, the only place that you can meet me is at this ark, is in this tabernacle where I've told you to place these two tables of stone, the law which cannot be broken. And there God's glory came down where the high priest would come, and he would go once a year. But Moses met the Lord at the tabernacle face to face. You can read that through their journeys. And the Lord says, only here in on all of the earth. Think about it. Think about it, friend. Maybe, maybe you're not even saved. Think about it. And you say, well, I'll meet God, and I'll come to God my way. I'll meet him and, and I'll come to God with my works or my religion or my denomination or my church affiliation. I'll meet God as I see fit and do as I want to do it because I think God would be like this. Then what you've done is made an idol in your own mind of who God is in your mind and not who God is according to his word. God says, when I tell you to come, you come my way or no way. And that ark is a represent of the Lord Jesus Christ that would come, who would keep the law perfect, that it would not be broken in him. For you and I are unable to keep that law, for we break it all the time. And the Lord says unto you, the Lord says unto me, and when we came to be saved, the Lord says... The Lord Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't come any other way to God. You can't come any other way to God's kingdom. You can't come any other way and you want to be face to face with God. It won't be your works. It won't be your alms. It won't be your charity. It can't be your good deeds. It won't be by being a good person or a religious person, denomination, affiliation. It's not by a creed. He says, there's only one way. And Jesus says, it's through me. It's in me. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. Salvation isn't in this church building. Salvation isn't in this man you're listening to. Salvation isn't in the worship team. Salvation isn't in even what we're singing. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. The man Christ Jesus is God manifest in flesh. And if you want to meet God, you meet him in him. You meet him through his son. He says, I am the way, not a way. The way exclusively. And in the year 2015, it's not politically correct to say that Christ is the only exclusive savior and the exclusively the only way to the Father. The only way to heaven, the only way for forgiveness of sin, the only payment and penalty that your debt was paid with was through the blood of Jesus. And now political correctness tells you you can't say that. Many roads are going up the mountain and eventually get to heaven. No, Jesus is exclusively the only way to glory. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is exclusively the only way to salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ is exclusively in Christ and in Christ alone and in none other and in no other thing. In Christ and in Christ alone is your salvation fine friend. In Christ alone, my hope is found, the hymn writer wrote. And the hymn writer wrote it because it's the truth of God's word. And here we find the Lord says to Moses, put these tables of stone in this box. This box of sitam wood. Remember the situm wood, the wood, the tree, the acacia tree it's believed that God uh, spoke through it. Remember the burning bush and Moses and the burning bush? They believed that was maybe Sitam or Acacia wood. So God's presence was as it were housed in that tree. And the bush was burning, but yet it was not consumed. Also this ark and the tabernacle was made of sit wood with covering of badger skins. And also then we, we hear of the thorns that were taken from the acacia tree are believed to be the same tree that crowned our Lord Jesus Christ. The acacia or the sitem tree, when you cut into the soft bark or the soft uh, wood off of the bark of it, it bled a, a sap that was believed to be a red color like the blood of Christ flowing at the cross. The flesh of the tree was red like the flesh that was pierced for by the Roman spear in our Lord Jesus' side. And in this was made this box, or out of this was made this box, and in this box was placed the two tables of stone that were to be kept and unbroken. And Jesus says, I am not come. He says, I am not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but that they might be fulfilled. So it was all fulfilled in Christ. And when you and I, who are lawbreakers, we break God's law, you and I are lawbreakers, then it shows us and points us we need a Savior. Friend, if you have broken God's law and you know you've broken God's law, then you need a Savior. You need someone who has kept the law that you can't keep, who's lived a life you cannot live, who has died a a substitutionary death for you and paid the price you could not pay by the shedding of his own precious blood. And you need to accept that as a one-time, once-for-all sacrifice that will never be repeated again. There's no other sacrifice for sin than the sacrifice of Christ at the cross of Calvary. Notice this. Place these tables of stone In this box, the Lord says, the Levites are to minister and all are to follow. And where this Ark of the Covenant, as it's known, or testimony goes, you go. You go. Do you know the Ark of the Testimony caused the walls of Jericho to fall down when the people praised? The presence of Christ. Do you know that in this Ark, God's presence came down and His glory was only in the whole wide earth was in this one spot? Think about it. Of all the people on the earth, of all the places in the universe, think of all the galaxies and Everything that we could even dream of and all the, the holy shrines or, or the unholy shrines, as you say, that, that the heathen had put up. In Israel was this one little room called the Holy of Holies where the high priest would walk into and there was this box covered in gold with a lid on top called the mercy seat with the cherubim, the angels touching wings and the glory of God came down and there was blood sprinkled on it. The blood of Allah. And God saw the blood and he was appeased. But when he saw the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, he was well pleased. That's the difference, you see. The blood of the Old Testament, it didn't wash away their sin. It appeased a holy God who had wrath against them because of their sin. But when Christ comes and you enter into Christ and Christ enters into you and you trust in him, this is what happens. He is not only appeasing God. God says he's well pleased with the blood of his Son. And the wrath is gone from you. Here, this box with these uh, writings on it, these two tables of stone, represent the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're foreshadowing and looking to him coming. Then the second time that Moses does come down when he does this, we actually have an account of it in Exodus 34. We, brief, we read this last week, and we'll briefly mention it because we want to move on. Exodus 34 and verse 6, Moses, uh, the second time getting these tables or tablets of stone, It says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Did you hear that? He says, I am am merciful and I'm gracious and I'm long-suffering. He says, but I will by no means clear the guilty. The guilty of what? breaking my law. But we're all guilty, but Jesus kept it for you. And when you accept the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, then you're no longer under the curse of this law. You find the mercy of God and the salvation of the Lord in your life. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generations. We looked at how we must for our nation's sake, we must for our nation's sake break the curse that is upon this nation because your children will grow up ungodly if you teach them it. And then their children will grow up not knowing the Lord and the devil will take over. And next thing we have a full nation of ungodliness. In fact, we have it already. But for the, the few who are holding to the truth of God's word. We must break this curse upon our nation. For God says he will forgive iniquity. That is perversity and depravity. Guilty by, guilt which is contracted from what the fathers have taught. Secondly, transgression which means national sin and individual sin. The transgression is the breaking of God's law, moral and religious rebellion against him. You think of the religious rebellion in Britain tonight. You think of the religious rebellion in Britain tonight. And who do you think of? Oh, well, we must think of Islam or we think of this. And you can think of all of that. You know what I do? I just think of those who take God's law and say it's no more. First up. That's rebellion. God, our Father, gave us his Son that he would keep the law and the curse was removed, but the law of the Lord remained. Now, we break it every day. We don't intentionally break it every day, but we break it every day and we live in grace because of Christ. Christ. And sin, he says, are are offenses which are habitual. If you remember last week, I showed you uh, from Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 18 about the Lord says, "You are like men pulling carts with rope. Gives the idea they're habitual sin, they're carrying it. And friend, you know, uh, brother, sister, I remember the days when I was in my sin and it wore me down and it wore me out and it tired me to such a place where I even at times didn't even want to live anymore because it was so sinful, because it was getting up to so much, because my body was racked by the things that the world had done to me. And I was pulling up with a cart. It was worrying me out. I was carrying my gods with me. My gods couldn't help me. My gods couldn't save me. My gods couldn't rescue me. In fact, my gods were dragging me to a devil's hell. My gods were dragging me to devil's hell and the God of alcohol and the God of drugs and the, and the God of, of worldliness was upon me and I was pulling it with a rope like on a cart and after a while your legs get tired and your body gets tired and you get weary and the next thing you're collapsing under the weight of it and your God cannot help you. Only the living God can lift a man and a woman. Only the living God can come and rescue a soul. Only the living God. And there's only one true living God, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ alone. The Lord says, Israel, you're like this. I look at our nation. So many established churches, even full of pomp and ceremony. Christ, there's nowhere to be found. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, these rewritten tables of stone in this situm wood ark are placed there. And we showed you how this is the law kept. This is the law unbroken. It shows you a man has broken it. Now it's kept. It's unbroken the second time. And in Deuteronomy 10, we're about to go into the promised land. The Lord says, now, We're going to have a covenant between me and you. Do you want to go to God's promised land? There has to be a covenant made between you and God. Well, look at it in a minute. We looked at how Romans 10 and verse 4, Paul tells us, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The word end is the word telos, which means termination or limit. In other words, the law—it's it, it, in every one of us. The law was broken. It's broken. It's broken. I shall not steal. I shall not commit adultery, and I shall not murder, and all sorts. And you know, and all these—all these ten commandments were being broken everywhere. All of us doing it. But suddenly, the law comes, and there's one in the whole of the universe. There's one in the whole of planet Earth. There's one man and one only in the whole of time. From Adam right to now. One and one alone. Not two, not three or four. Not a few or a couple. There was one and he hung on a cross. And when the law comes looking and says, let's test this one out. It terminates in him. It's the end for the law comes and finds. It's been kept in this one. It terminates like a bus or a train turning at a station, a terminal. It's nowhere else to go. The law can't go any further because Christ has ended it within himself. And so Ken says, I trust him for he has kept it for me. He has shed his blood that I may be washed clean of my sin, that the Father would be well pleased with me in Christ and I would be declared righteous by faith. And oh friend, Brother, sister, I know many of you have done that too. And the law no longer has a curse upon you and upon me because of Jesus. Would you say praise the Lord to say bless his holy name. It terminated in Christ. It turned around in him. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, we want to look at this for a moment. Paul says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith or we might be just as if we had never sinned because of our faith in him. In other words here, Paul says there's a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ and the law is that schoolmaster. Verse 25 he says, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Now, what is Paul saying? The word here for schoolmaster, if I can get the pronunciation right, it's the word pedagogos. Pedagogos. And it can mean schoolmaster. The law is our schoolmaster. The law is our guardian and our tutor. Paul takes this from, especially in in the, the time when Paul lived, in the, the culture of the Romans and the Greeks and other cultures around there, they had what was known as a pedagogos. And a pedagogos was a, was a slave in a house that had been uh, brought up uh, and in that house and well trusted for a long time. In other words, the master of the family and the master of the house seeing their son or their daughter, well, usually it was a son that would grow up and, and seen that they needed uh, put into the shape, they needed watched over, and they came from, if you want, the better classes because they were able to do this. It came from a more elevated class or a middle class, if we would call it today. And what happened was this, th- these children were growing up, they weren't allowed to go out without the pedagogos. This is the slave. He walked with them. They went to school. He followed them. They're coming back again. He was with them. They weren't allowed to go across the door. The slave, the Peter Gogos, as he was known, he walked with them. They went out to play with their friends. He went and he watched over them. And what he did was he taught them morals. He taught them the rights and the wrongs. And he pointed them in the right way. And he showed them the right things. And he would have called the, the, the boy over and he says, now listen, that's not right. Don't do this. You can't live like that. Don't speak like that. Don't act like that. You're, you're a child who's growing up proper, in other words. And so this pedagogos followed them everywhere they went. Normal duty was that not only would they follow him, but this guardian or uh, this pedagogos, this tutor, would keep watch over them even at night when they went to bed, they sat beside or outside the door. Paul says the law, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, placed in that box that was kept the second time. That wasn't broken. He says, that law is your schoolmaster, he says. That law is your pedagogos. He says, that law was to follow you, to walk with you, that law was to direct you. That law was to help you. That law was to keep you. That law was to, to instruct you. That law was whether you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning, it was there. It's in front of you. It's before your eyes. And Paul says, that's the Peter Gogoss, the schoolmaster. And what does it do? It brings us onto Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Let me tell you what I mean. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you'll just flick over briefly to it, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way. And when thou last down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. Notice, that's everywhere you go, here is the law of God. Everywhere you go, here's the law of God. Or in Paul's word, it was the pedagogos. It was your schoolmaster. So on your very eyelids, as it were, in our mind's eye, writing on our hands. Listen, we're talking about fellowship, the right hand of Fellowship. You talked about the, the, the Jews would have wrapped around them uh, uh, it's a little uh, leather box and they wrapped it up their sleeve and they put one upon their heads and they had the scriptures written in them and this meant they took the scripture or the theology of, of God in their head and they had it in their hand and they shook with it. People talk about the future, a future coming Antichrist. He's going to put tattoos in your head and all said, those are nonsense. But listen, this is, this is what it is. It's taking the word of God in your head. Taking it into fellowship in your hand. And the Lord says, My law is to be in your head and in your hands. Fellowship with it. It'll follow you. And Paul's words like the Pedagogos, like the slave. It'll follow you. Here we see. Here we see that the Lord says in Deuteronomy 6, everywhere you go, frontless of your eyes, the posts of your doors, the gates of your house, when you're teaching your children, when you lie down, when you get up, everything, he says, is your pedagogos. It's to follow you and instruct you. Now, don't be playing like that. You're going too rough, or don't be watching this, or don't be doing that. And as the law tells us everything we should or shouldn't do. That's why thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not thy shalt not, thy shalt not, thy shalt not. You see, the pedagogos, the law of God, would be the law which would accompany Israel and it would show them the, the prohibitions and keeping them in a condition, listen, of dependency and restraint and it would continually reveal to them their sin. And it continually reveals to us our sin. Well, look, I've never murdered. Yeah. Maybe in your heart you have. I've never stolen, what, not even a phone call that you didn't ask for? I've never told a lie. You've just did. <laughs> You've broken the law. It's smashed at the foot of the mountain. And God in His wrath says, "No." I will come in vengeance. Britain has broken the law of God. Britain has broken God's holy law. And God is judging this nation. And there's more for it to come. Here, in Deuteronomy, we're told by faith when we look at Christ, that Pedagogos shows us this is how you keep it, like him. And we say, but we can't. They say, then, he kept it for you. He's kept it for you. In Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12 says, And now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all uh, thy soul. Notice, the Lord wants your heart. Do you know when you look at the Ten Commandments, they're split into two tables, four and six. Four is man's relation to God. The first four is man's relation to God. And the next six is man's relation to man. Our relation one to another. That's why our nation is built on these things and now it's destroyed. It's destroyed. Strange last week after we talked about bringing our children up and, and in the word of God and following and serving Christ and how we are to, to bring them up according to, to, to what the Lord God's word says and keep them into the fellowship with meetings and, and breaking that curse that's upon our nation of unchurched and ungodly kids. And yet the next morning an early morning radio, it was a big debate on from atheists looking to take out all religious worship and prayers out of every school in the nation. The very next morning. Here in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, the promised land is right there. The promised land is right there. Friend, God's kingdom's right there. We don't know when he'll return, but it looks like he's coming soon. And God's kingdom's right there. The promised land's right there. Will you be in it? God's heaven is right there. Will you be there? For God says, put these tables of stone into the ark and this is my covenant with you. You make a covenant with me and in this I'll make sure you enter the promised land and you will inherit it. You see, whenever we look at it that way, Israel, they said, we will do what the Lord has commanded us. We will take of this a wonderful gift that you're showing us, and we will fall into covenant relationship with you, for the land is right in front of us. Now, try and focus on this, for this is very, very important. Very important. Moses puts the tables of the law in the box, and they take it into the, temp, the tabernacle in the wilderness then, and then into the holy place where God, remember, would come down. In all of the universe, God's presence would just be there. Nowhere else. Don't look for me anywhere else, but there. And so, what the symbology of it was, around that time as well, in other countries, and their, their, their heathen deities, even in secular terms, what they did was, if it was businessmen or farmers with land or whatever, they were making a covenant one with another and they brought the written documents and they brought it to their heathen deities and they laid it at the feet of their statues or whatever they were and they made a covenant one with another. Look, this is the covenant I make with you and this is the covenant I make with you and if any of us break it, this is the idea of it now, if any of us break this covenant, then I will be offended and the offended party has the right to come after and hurt the ones who have offended him. That was a covenant. Let me show you an example of this. In Genesis 31. In Genesis chapter 31. Appreciate your attention. Your attention is tremendous tonight. In Genesis chapter 31, Please. And we'll just lift a couple of verses just for time's sake. Genesis 31, let your eye just run down to verse 40, 43. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou sayest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters, or unto their children, which they have borne. Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones and made an heap. And they and they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Jagarsa Hadutha. And Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore the name of it was called Galid and Mizpah or Mizpeh. For the Lord for he said, The Lord, watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. They make a covenant. Jacob was the old twister. Jacob had that twisted nature, and he worked seven years to have his first to have his wife. Uh, he worked for Laban for seven years to have his, his wife, Rachel, and he swapped Rachel for Leah, so he had to work another seven years. He was, he, he was joked himself and twisted, oh, Laban joked uh, Jacob, and he had to work another seven years for Rachel. So then Jacob says, I'll get my own back and wanted his pound of flesh and he went and he done what he thought he would do and he took of his cattle and there's a whole story behind it and Laban comes and his daughters are now leaving and Laban's feeling the pinch of this. You've taken my daughters, you're breaking my heart, you're, you're taking my land, you've taken, taken off my land and you're taking my cattle. So by the time they come here to save battle or war or hurt, they turn a stone up and they say, this is going to be a witness. Before God, here's a witness. That this is called the uh, heap of stones to witness or a witness heap. That's what it meant. And so they made that. And notice this, what he says in verse 49. They called it Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. Now, I'm going to try. I don't mean to hurt anybody here. I don't mean to disappoint anybody here. And I don't mean to offend you. But if you go to some, uh, Christian bookshops and you'll get cards and it says, Mizpah on it. The Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. Somebody's going away to a foreign country or away for a while and, you know, my heart's with you and I love you so much. Maybe a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I don't know. A husband and a wife. Mizpah. The Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. You know, the hearts and the flowers are bursting everywhere. That's not what it means. That is not what it means. Let me tell you what it means. They made a covenant before God and Laban came uh, to Jacob and Jacob to Laban. They made this covenant between them and it goes like this. The Lord watch you. And the other one goes, and the Lord watch you. He says, and if the Lord watches you and you come against me, I reserve the right to attack. That's what it means. If you offend me, I reserve the right for wrath on you. That's what it means. If you come against me, or I come against you, then if God does not avenge us, then we avenge one on another. That's what it means. So next time you get a wee card that says, Ms. go, if I know what that means, I won't be saying that one to another. That's the idea of it. And when the Lord says, put the tables of stone into the ark that's unbroken, my commandments, put it into this. He said, because it, it's going to foreshadow where my presence is there alone. And Christ who kept that law that we break, like the first commandments, the stones that were thrown at the foot of the mountain. And it was kept in this ark. Which ark is Christ? This ark is represents Christ. And he says, if you want to come to me, you come through the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to come to me, you come through my Son. You want to come to me, you come from the one who hung on the cross where the law terminates or ended, and by faith you're righteous and justified. If you want to come to me in all this universe, there's only one way, and it's through him. And listen, Pat, if you don't want to come, then I have the right to come in wrath. Do you get it now? For you have broken the covenant that I have given thee in my Son. If you don't come this way and in him alone, then Pat. I'll come in wrath, and I'm justified in doing so. God has made a way for you to go to heaven. God has made the way for you to enter his kingdom. God has made a way for you to be born again. God has made a way for you to be forgiven. God has made a way for you to be saved. And it's through the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says if you don't come this way you've broken this covenant for in him my law is kept. He says and I'll come in wrath in you. So I must close. Thank you for your attention. You can read in Micah 6 and 8 when you go home that the Lord asks again, what doth the Lord require of thee? And this is a way in the future. Israel is separated into two kingdoms, the house of Israel in the north and the house of Judah in the south. And Samaria is the northern capital. Judah, or Jerusalem, is the capital of the southern kingdom. And Micah prophesies the destruction of both capitals and two nations. And it says in Micah 6 and 16, for the statues of Omri are kept and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels. In other words, you have broken my law. Omri and Ahab's son were kings in the house of Israel. And they were idolatrous. They were lawbreakers. And the Lord sends Micah even into Judah and says to Jerusalem, See, as the Lord carried away the house of Israel, so he says, Jerusalem will fall also. And they didn't listen. I wonder, is there someone who will listen and realize that all is in Christ. There's an old Puritan called George Swinnock. And George Swinnock says, the law is a court of justice, but the gospel is a throne of grace. The law is a court of justice, but the gospel is a throne of grace. Do you know all of us who are saved, do you know that the law is has been a court of justice, and all of us were found guilty. But now, when we see his son who kept that law in the place where we meet him, we realize something. We realize we're at the throne of grace, saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, Jesus. He died for me. Brothers and sisters, what a wonderful Savior! to think that everything that this law, this pedagogos, which caused the young ones to grow up until they reached adult, adulthood or, or maturity, and they learned to walk in proper ways. The, the, the pedagogos followed these young men until they grew up to be young men who were able to conduct themselves and walk in the ways that their father wanted them to walk because the pedagogos had made sure of it. And the law of God was the same But when we realize that this pedagogos wasn't doing us any good. It was weak through our flesh. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, but it was weak in you and I. But when it points us to Christ, we grow up and the law is written in our hearts. It's written in our minds. And you can read Hebrews yet, I haven't time. When you go home, the Lord says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, taking it from Jeremiah 31, and I will write the law on their minds and in their hearts. And we grow up to walk in the way through the guiding of the Spirit. We walk in the way that our fathers would have us. I mean, our Father, rather, would have us to glorify His Son. I trust all are saved. I trust you know Him because there's a broken covenant, there's broken law. And God may come and avenge at any moment. God bless his word to all of our hearts of saving.